Welcome to MyPersonalFootballCoach.com's Soccer Player Development Podcast. Discover all the secrets, hints and tips about soccer player development and soccer coaching from some of the leading figures in world soccer. Here's your host, Saul Isaacson-Hurst. guys welcome back to another show this week we've got another top guest for you it's chris robinson chris uh till very recently was a scout at chelsea football club worked there for many many years he's now started a new company called the scouting game where he's helping players and parents all around the world um to help them identify talent and evaluate their players and um, also Chris is one of the uh, presenters on the My Personal Football Coach Virtual Academy uh, Next Gen Club. He's going to be delivering the uh, recruiting and, and or how to get scouted tips, um, which is going live on February the 1st. So find out more in the link in the bio. Just to let you know as well, the Virtual Academy uh, Next Gen Club, we've got technical, which is done by me, tactical, done by Glenn Hicks, ex-Tottenham Hotspur coach, uh, Premier League coach for many years. See, Chris is doing the scouting. Uh, Charlie Quigley, who's Southampton SNC coach, does the physical. And Steve Salas is doing the mindset um, sessions for the players. So like I say, check it out. It's only 9.99 a month. But like I say, back to the show. Chris, a top practitioner, been in the game many, many years. So really excited and privileged he decided to come back into the show. So uh, without further ado, let's get into the show. So Chris Robinson, welcome to the show. Good morning. How are you? Good afternoon. Yeah, not too bad. Good afternoon here, obviously, on the other side of the world, but you know. <laughs> yes, of course. The Globetrotter. Yeah, absolutely. Lucky yeah, exactly. yeah, luckily the uh, it's a bit hotter here. But anyway, moving on from the weather. But t- so, Chris, listen, uh, I've known you many years. Can you just give us a brief outline of your playing coaching journey up to this point, please? Sure. I, I played non league all over the place, uh, all around the country. Uh, then I coached uh, Man City, Portsmouth. Um, various places, worked for Bobby Charlton for three years uh, and played in the Bobby Charlton 11 alongside Bobby, which was a great experience, much of my mind, having been recently deceased, uh, of course. And then I managed in non-league, managed Cheltenham Town, managed the FA 11, uh, and then the last 15 years in recruitment, uh, scouting. And 12 years of that have been at Chelsea in the academy in various recruitment positions, management positions, uh, doing all sorts of scouting across uh, academy ages and, and, and different types of scouting. And then I left there in November to start the business, the new business, and I'm hoping to join another club in the next month or so to run alongside the business as well. Fantastic. So then let's start about those early days. Talk about your first coaching experiences. What, what were they and where were they? Yeah, I, I went to um, the London School of Economics to do a master's degree. And I was working full-time with my dad on the docks in Millwall at the time. And it was a full-time degree. I mean, looking back, you think, a stupid thing to do. You know, how did I do do both? But I was playing football. I'd been playing non-league. And I, someone that I happened to meet was playing for the university first team. And he said, play a few games for us. So I went and played. And, I, and they wanted me to start coaching. So we had... In the middle of London, you know, the, the college, so there's very little facility there. The, the training ground was out at New Morden, where Fulham play their um, all their academy games uh, nowadays. Uh, so I had to be very inventive about what sort of training we did in a small gym. And that was the start of my coaching, and I really enjoyed it. And so a few years later, uh, I did my first uh, prelim 
badge, as it was called then, coaching badge. And the guy who did it at the end of it said, yeah, great, you passed it all straight A's. What are you doing next week? And I said, nothing much. And he said, well, I'm, I'm working for Bobby Charlton next week. Come and work with me. And so that's how I started working for Bobby Charlton coaching here and in the UK and in Saudi Arabia. I worked for Bobby as well. So, and that got me going. And then I thought, well, I want to get into non-league coaching and management. So that I focused on that. So uh, as is often in life, it was a succession of sort of circumstances, chances really, but with the intent that I, I, I enjoyed coaching and I wanted to do more of it. So tell us about then, how did, what happened when you go, how to get into Man City and Portsmouth for those sorts of things? How did you transition to that? Yeah, well, I, I was working for Bobby Charlton and uh, living up in the Northwest. And uh, again, someone who I worked with, did some coaching with, was doing some work for Man City. And at that time, the FA ran a scheme called Soccer Stars, which was like a, a skills program. Um, and it was a long time ago this was. So they said, we need someone to come and coach on that. And then I started going to the the Centre of Excellence, as it was called then, which is in Platte Lane in Moss Side. Man City had no money there. <laughs> it was completely different than what it is uh, these days, I imagine. So their training facility in the middle of Moss Side was, uh, was quite an experience. And so I started doing some work there and got some coaching work from that. And so it was just turning up, being in the right place, being persistent, taking opportunities when they come up. And then on from there, Portsmouth was some years later where I was, uh, my son, one of my, I've got five sons. Three of them have been through the academy and professional football. And one of the, the younger boys was scouted by Portsmouth, um, which is when we're living down here in the South uh, then. And uh, he was seven and eight. And the guy who, Steve Martin, who who scouted him said, look, we want you as well. So I said, really? <laughs> a bit old to play now. He said, oh, we want you to come and do some coaching uh, for us, you know, because he knew about my background. So I started running a development centre uh, for Portsmouth um, at Godamink, Charterhouse School, which is great facilities. And I started doing some scouting for them as well. So, again, it's, 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 it's been planned in the sense that I knew what I wanted to do, but the actual circumstances were just taking what opportunities came up through the normal sort of networking, I suppose you would call it, that we do in our lives, you know. I mean, look, this is obviously a, like a recruitment-based podcast. Obviously, that's your answer. Think about that then, you know, those first initial experiences in, you know, running development centre. That was my, when I had my first break as well, That because that is on the first step of the, well, one of the first steps of the recruitment process, isn't it? What are the, yeah. what are your, what are the main things, thinking back, of, you know, what, what are the main takeaways of things of like, right, what are you looking for? You know, how do you look for it? What are the assets of like a player? That sort of thing is difficult. A lot of the players are really young, you know, seven, eight, nine, you know, what, you know how do you, you know, try and predict what they're going to be look like 10 years down the line? Yeah, well, you can't. I can't. Anyway, um, I, I, you know, when you hear people say, "Oh, I saw Marcus Rashford play at seven and knew he was going to play for England," I always think, "Well, you should come and do my job because I can't tell. Uh, I, I can't tell that far ahead. There's too many variables." So I always ask of scouts when I've been managing scouts, "Tell me two years ahead. If he's a seven, do you, do you think he'll be a signing at under nine? Now that's a reasonable question. Saying, "Do you think he'll play for the first team at twenty-two? It's crazy, you know. So I can't look that far ahead. I learned that much. That there are too many variables. You would have seen this too, so that you know players that you think were nailed on to go and have a great future. Things happen, you know, or the other way round. You know, who would have said that Reese James and Conor Gallagher were going to be such you know top players and international stars when 
neither of them were great, the best in their group at the sort of 13, 14, were they, for example? So the, look, things vary. So I can't tell that far ahead. So with the, with the real younger ones, you're looking for um, the, the, the physicality, their movement, their ease of movement, that sort of li- physical literacy, you can call it. You know, they can move okay. They don't run like toddlers, even though they're not long from being toddlers. They've got that movement and they like the ball. They're good on the ball. They want the ball and they can use the ball. So all the other the other two parts of the corner, the tactical and psychological, they come later, I guess. Um, so in the early ages, you're just looking for physicality and and some technique, I think. Um, I never really enjoyed um, scouting the, the very young ones, to be honest. It's never I did it and, we, and so I had players signed at those ages, but it's never my forte really like it is for some people. Because my scouting actually goes back to when I was in non-league as a manager, when I had to do my own scouting. You know, when I was a part-time non-league manager, you train once a week, you probably have a midweek game. Well, the other nights you were out scouting and you were out looking for the players that you were going to sign. And I really enjoyed that. And and then I was looking for specific things, probably. And I was thinking, you know, I know we're going to need another centre-back in, or whatever it might be. And I learned to try and scout for the future just to have a bank of players in my head. And it's just what we do now in the programmes. You have, like, a, you know, lists of the top centre-backs. Now it's on a database. And then it was in my head, you know. Oh, I would write it down too. So when you need a centre-back, you've got someone to go to. And I, I really enjoyed that scouting. So that was always in my mind, again, that I would want to come back and do more scouting uh, later down the down the line. And that's how it works out. I, I'm going to a game tonight, a local game. Um, not because I particularly need to, uh, but a non-league game, Chichester City tonight against Merston, because I love watching football and I've been fortunate enough to be paid for it. But the thing is, I also know that going to watch this game tonight, I might see a player who sticks in my mind and if in a month's time someone says to me, we need a whatever in a non-league team, I saw this lad, you know, that's how it works. Mm. So I, I just enjoy watching football and getting paid for it and enjoy analysing players, you know. So I've been so fortunate to be able to earn a living out doing that. Just never off duty, you, are you? You need to, you need to take a little break, <laughs> no, <don't you? laughs> Yes, my wife will tell you. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, let's talk about... Well, I just come to mind, I remember, you know, Joe Sutton, you know, Joe, who used to be a head of recruitment at Arsenal in the 90s to 11s. He once told me about this thing. We were chatting about a player. He said, you've got to be careful, especially with some of the young ones, is that they're you're looking at how much they've trained, how much they've... You know, so, you, for example, you know, you've got one... Got one seven-year-old who trains every single day in the power league of his dad who's done, you know, hundreds, hundreds of hours. And then he got another seven who may be, you know, completely raw. And maybe like it's not fair to you know, maybe that's what's the difficulty because someone's done so much more is so much more experience, but maybe actually is it the young, the other one might even be more of a bigger prospect because maybe whatever, if you know what I'm saying, well, I'm going yeah. essentially, isn't it? Thinking about because as we see the modern generation players are starting so young. What's your thoughts on that in terms of I mean, you must have had experience with their Chelsea, you know, you see those players who just, you know, they're just so advanced, but is it because they've just done more or are they better players? Are they more potential? Or is there a fact you think actually the, 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 the newer comer may actually be a bigger prospect for the future? Oh, it's a, it's a big issue uh, because there are some areas in, just take the South of England, there's some areas in South of England where there's not really under six games, for example. There's not many under six games. They might play towards the end of their under six season in preparation for under sevens. Elsewhere, there's really well-organised under six leagues. So by the time a kid even gets to seven, some kids have had a season of playing football. That's a huge part of their life, proportion. 
and hopefully an advantage compared to those who are just starting at seven. And then take that forward. We all say that the priority ages for recruitment in an academy are seven and eight years old to get them in at under nine. Because you get that right, you build your, your academy on that. But there's kids who don't start playing football, organised football, till they're eight or nine. And so, you, in a sense, you, you can, can get a feeling they almost miss the boat, you know, and it's crazy at those ages. So mm. I've seen so many instances of players who pop up nine, 10, 11, and, and, and you, you, you like them, they're on grassroots or whatever. And when you speak to the parents, they say, well, he's actually only been playing a year or two years. So they weren't even on the radar at six and seven. Mm. And that's a massive difference. And so I think, again, from a recruitment point of view, we have to keep open minds. You know, we can fixate on the seven and eights, and particularly those who are working in that field. That is the be-all and end-all, because it's so important to get the best under nines you can. I get that. But there, we have to remember there are kids who, like you said, have only just started playing or have perhaps yeah. not played at all. And in some areas, if kids, if families can't afford for, um, you know, to pay the, the subs and things, and football's getting very expensive, now to play because of the cost of facilities and what have you, then maybe their parents are not in a position for them to play for a club. And that's why school football, the demise of school football, which when I was growing up was all there was, and now it's gone the other way, and it's hardly any school football, it's some, but it's such a um, such a shame because that is all-inclusive football, you know, the school football, because virtually every kid goes to school. Not every kid can go even to a club. So they miss out, and and we have to keep open as as people in recruitment to players who come late, but also to go and find the players who are not in the mainstream. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because you almost think, you know, that's the old adage, isn't it? You know, you you select the best, well, at the time, best seven or eights. You know, the ones who are less experienced miss out on the opportunity than those best seven, eights, nines train four times a week at a top academy. They play with the best players, they play games. And then it's almost like impossible or nearly for anyone else to sort of catch up, isn't it? So, Absolutely. you know, it's, it's difficult you know, in terms of like early engagement or specialisation, however we're going to call it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like a, it must be tricky, especially from a recruitment point of view. And we know that the older players are more likely to get picked up for exactly the same reasons, because at six or seven, if you're September to December, you know, you're, yeah. you're proportionately, you may well be physically and emotionally considerably more mature than someone who's in the, you know, June, July uh, end. And we know that that's how that age bias starts. It's a recruitment issue. And so we, again, it's about being aware of the issues as, as scouts and as, as uh, recruiters and being open to finding other ways to bring talent in down the line. And and most of the bigger clubs will try and be flexible. We'll have different a multiplicity of routes into the academy, and not just get stuck in a groove where they've got to be in at seven and eight. They've got to be playing in local football. They've got to be in the best leagues locally because you exclude loads of kids that way. Well, that's. I mean, I was just thinking back to. I remember Paris McGoma now. You probably know Paris. He's at Brentford. He's at Brentford now. He's on loan. Just have a look there. He's on loan several clubs. He was top when he was at Tottenham. Obviously, his brothers came through the academy, but he was way at him when I was doing the sevens and the eights. And you know, we had a very strong eight group. And he came in a summer birthday, very inexperienced. And I was like, God, and I was, you know, quite inexperienced at the time, thinking, oh, this kid's miles off, you know, yeah. compared. And I was like, don't worry about him. You know, he's a football family will come through. But he's just like, he was like, he's a mate. I was looking, he's a May birthday. You know, a lot of those older boys, like they're much more experienced. Some of the boys from, you know, 
like say areas where he played a lot more football and that's I, that's for the first time I learned I think, yeah that's such inter- so interesting you know like you said before like you know you're talking about an under eight you know, he's seven or he's an under he's eight you know he's, he's just started playing you know you know one year or six months is such a long time in that oh, young yeah. person's life isn't it but yeah. that's a challenge isn't it for like you know for recruitment is like then yeah. how do you you know how do you how do you protect those players how do you predict that yeah and then also then it's tricky isn't it because you know like I said we you know we used to talk about we're talking about you know, you know, clubs in France who have this huge base of players, right? Hund- you know, hundreds of players in development centres. The problem is obviously in London, isn't it? It's so competitive. You know, you use such a such a race to get those players. I mean, how how do you, how do you, would you confront something like that? What are some of the things you've done to you know think about the maturation issues and the age bias and stuff like that? The uh, uh, thing is, when you're a scout and you go and watch a kid on grassroots, you don't know their date of birth. So it's fine once you know. You can think, oh, okay, that's a younger one. We'll be more patient with that one. Or, or we'll give them more opportunity. But the initial contact, you don't know their data, but you don't even know their name, you know? So it's who catches your eye. So yeah. it's very difficult um, to, to, for, to be even-handed when you don't have all the, the information in front of you. You are just going off immediate performance when you walk up to the side of a pitch and a grassroots. And that's fair enough. You know, that, that is, that's how it is. Once they come into the system then a good system, a good academy will be able to take into account their younger or their smaller or whatever and have an individual programme. That's how I think it should work. But it is a recruitment issue and there's no easy answer. I did an experiment at Chelsea recently. The only way to counteract age bias, the only system that counteracts it, counteracts it is, is a system called birthday bandings. So in other words, your, your nine-year-olds will all play one they're nine in a, in a team. And when they become 10, they go up to the 10-year-old team. So over 12 months, every player, this is the only system where this works, every player will have the experience of being the youngest in the group and then at one time the oldest in the group. So instead of organising it on a, an academic year basis like we do, you organise it in birthday years. And so you have a shifting group. And we experimented with that in the, uh, the filter programme that I used to run at, at Chelsea, and it worked really well. And it's really interesting. And the parents of kids who moved up when they were the oldest, and next week they went into the group above and they're the youngest, they found it really interesting. And it changed the dynamic. However, the problem with that is, that's once that we brought them in and we've got them in the filter program. So you still got the issue back at the beginning. You know, once again, when you know their age, you can start doing things and playing around with it and giving them opportunity. So there's no easy way around it. Because if we shifted it all to the... Uh, calendar year like it is in Europe well again obviously it just repeats itself but for a different group of kids so nice. once they're in the system you can do all sorts of things but it is a recruitment issue in the first place and there's no obvious answer uh, to it um, where you have any static year qualification brings that age bias issue what's happening guys hope you're enjoying the show just want a quick one to say don't forget that my personal football coach virtual academy next gen club is going live very soon Uh, you can get sessions from myself tactical sessions from glenn hicks ex tottenham hotspur coach mindset lessons from uh, the guru himself mindset guru steve salas who worked for the english fa scottish fa charlie quigley who's an snc coach works at southampton academy he's doing physical sessions and chris robinson as well ex chelsea scouts going to be delivering tips on how to get scouted how to get noticed all right so really excited about that follow the link in the bio or you can go straight to the my personal football coach app and uh, and click on start and there it's just 9.99 a month so really happy to try to make it as affordable 
available as possible for everybody. Nine ninety nine a month to take your game to the next level. Now back into the show. Interesting. Okay, let's get onto your move to Chelsea then, because there's lots of stuff you want to talk about there. Because a lot of stuff you did around there was you know, lack of that in terms of late developers. Tell us about how the that Chelsea opportunity came around. I worked for a while um, for an international sports charity called Right to Play, and they they go out of the Olympic movement. used to call the Olympic Games, set up by athletes. And they became called Right to Play. And they were based in North America. And they delivered sport-based programs, uh, getting kids into health education programs and community programs and all sorts of things, all using sport and all using a- athletes of one sort or another as the sort of face of it and the leader of it. So they were based in North America, but they didn't. Uh, and they delivered programs in Africa, Asia, Middle East, poorest countries in the world all football countries, but they didn't have anyone who, who knew football because they were North American based. So I got contacted and found and asked, would I become the UK national director right to play, set it up in the UK, which is essentially fundraising, but run their football operations around the world and develop football partnerships. So I said, that's great. I'd love to do that because, you know, helping the poorest people in the world was a great experience and traveling all around the world. But I said, the first thing we've got to do is we need to uh, partner with a Premier League club to get the profile. So before I'd actually even formally started the job, I went to see uh, Peter Kenyon and Simon Greenberg, who were then sort of managing um, the business side of Chelsea. Uh, and I happened to know them through other football connections. Uh, and so I got the chance to sit in front of them and I did a presentation. They adopted Right to Play as the international charity partner. It became the biggest deal between a charity and a football club in the world, lasted for eight years. It was originally going to be a four-year deal. And so when Chelsea won the uh, Champions League 2012, right to play was on the back of the shirts uh, in, in Europe. And so massive profile, went with Jose Mourinho and Michael Essien to Ghana to visit our projects and had great experiences. And I really got to know the people in, in Chelsea, particularly in the academy, because we took a lot of academy players uh, to see projects in Ghana, Jordan, um, throughout the Middle East, and and loads and loads of great experiences. And they knew I had a football background, and so they said to me right from the beginning, people like Darren Grace, Neil Bath, you're going to have to come and work for us, you know, because they knew I was a huge Chelsea fan too. So that's when, uh, a few years later, 2012, got the opportunity. They said, look, come and do start scouting with us. And uh, right from the beginning, we talked about me going full-time with the club. Um, but it took a, a few years to, for me to get in a situation where I could uh, afford to do that. <laughs> so uh, that's where I started 2012, just doing part-time scouting out of grassroots. But pretty soon I was in a sort of coordinator role and a management role and then full-time. So it was, again, just through life experience and connections and chance, in a sense, and then making the most of those opportunities and having worked alongside people, they knew what I was like and they knew my background before they had to sort of, you know, take the risk of employing me. And so I had just under 12 years at, at, at Chelsea, finishing in, in November. Great experience, as you know, great academy, some really good people there, uh, has the best of facilities, the best of resources. So there's no excuse not to be top class because it had everything going for it um, in a very competitive, competitive world, you know, a very changing world. So it's, been a great experience to work with the the best level so talk about what what's when you first went in there what sort of stuff were you doing who who what sort of people what age groups were you scouting where were you, what were your areas of work I, I started off um 
in, in sort of Surrey, southwest London, uh, doing grassroots scouting. And uh, pretty soon, though, I was asked to coordinate the whole west of um, southeast England, if, if you know what I mean, sort of from Hampshire, Berkshire, Surrey, and, and, and up. So we're all over the place. So I was learning about the local leagues, um, which I knew a bit about because my sons had played in them when they were younger, and uh, just getting out and about on, on in grassroots, learning the importance of your networks because that's the key to being a grassroots scout. So working alongside people like Ray Rembridge, who we all know, you know, who's had over 60 players signed for Chelsea, Rhys James, Trevor Chalabar, Conor Gallagher, they're all, you know, uh, mm. race. Ch- Chelsea legend, Rainey. Absolutely. And, and when you go to a game with Ray, and I went to many, um, you, you struggle to get around the pitch because everybody knows him. He's so well known and he's so well thought of. And that was the learning points for me. He had a great network. He still has. And he was very well thought of because he treated everybody. He's a real gentleman. That's the phrase that people usually use with Ray. And so consequently, people wanted to talk to him and they wanted to talk to him about players. So I'm walking alongside him thinking, this is the key to to Ray Remage's success. He knows everybody. He's got a network, great network. He's worked in the same area for a long time. And he is well thought of because he treats people well. And of course, he's got a very good eye for players. And that was, I learned that was the key. The other thing Ray taught me very early on, in the boot of Ray's car, he has every type of uh, clothing that possible because he said when you're out scouting, it might be sunny when you go out and you've got your shorts on, but you need your big coat and you need your umbrella. And so now ever since then, uh, my cars, and it's still the same today. If you look in my my car, there's a there's a big bag, an Ikea bag full of kit, you know, just in case the weather changes when I'm out. So I learned some practical things from Ray as well. Tell us about obviously because you're also you were helping in terms of I remember working with um like help with the, when the basically what Chelsea did what uh, Tottenham had done when I was there that's I just came through that same route where they started getting the foundation involved and as a way of uh, helping identify players they had development centres as well so there's like a player and a coach pathway tell us a little bit about that yeah so Chelsea Foundation is the the largest in in the world I think football foundation they work with over a million children a year around the world. Um, huge. And so, you know, eventually it did dawn on us, a million kids a year, surely there must be some players in there. But it was almost separate to to the academy and to the rest of the club. And there weren't the connecting points. The coaches who worked the foundation, and they would have at any one time, I don't know, like 500 coaches uh, around the world, a lot of them in southeast of England, they wouldn't know what we were looking for. So Neil Barth asked me to... Um, to look at connecting those things up, integrating the foundation. So I trained over 250 coaches from the foundation in the basics of scouting, what we look for, to help them to identify players. We began to set up foundation cups at the training ground so that with the best of foundation players, lots of initiatives like that, to get at the best of one and bring them into to Cobham, into the training ground. And I think the first player we signed through that was Atto Ampa, who's played for England since, now scholar at Chelsea. That was when he was 10. I think we picked him up. He's 18 now. Um, And so it began to work. We began to identify players and get a stream of players. But then also through the initiatives that set up, 
we began to identify talented coaches. So then we got a whole series of coaches, people you'll know, Scott Hastings, Tom Bird, George Cole, all, all came through the foundation and worked on, on our projects and then stepped into uh, the academy, into academy coaching. So it became a, a route for coaches as well. So it's very popular, obviously, to give the foundation coaches something to aspire to a way through. And it took us years to get it set up. Now it works very well. Um, there's three assess, player assessment centres. They're staffed by foundation coaches, for the large part. So there's progression routes for them. And it's the way now that players, not just from the foundation, from grassroots, are identified at Chelsea is through the assessment centres. So it, it, it worked. And the foundation is was we were able to do that at Chelsea because although in practice it seems separate, it was still owned, you know, and centralised. Whereas in a lot of clubs, Arsenal at one time, Man United, it's sort of a Liverpool, it's sort of out outsourced a bit, you know, in, in Arsenal mm-hmm. and Liverpool at one time, they were like franchised out, you know, the, the local yeah, yeah. foundation school. So it was a little bit remote, more remote. Whereas at Chelsea, we had no excuse not to do it right because they were still part of one organisation. It's just in practice they weren't connected. So once we broke down those barriers, there, there was nothing to stop us being able to to get at the players, and it worked very well. I mean, you, you, you mentioned Atto there as well. Like how how successful how does it has it been in terms of you know getting those late bloomers or as a way of like you know getting that bit of a, a bigger base if you like, and then you know getting those players you might have missed. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the players who you know start to flourish at 10, 11, 12. There's been a number of those who've come through. Um, one of the, the, the stars in, in, in the sort of uh, under 13 age group now, I think Fabian Bassi, he came through the foundation, for example. So he missed out at the sevens and eights, got into the foundation. We identified him and gradually he came over, came in on trial then for the academy and uh, and got signed. And he's one of a whole number where that, that flow has, has worked. So it's exactly that the players who maybe weren't playing at seven or eight, even like we said, or they were, but they they weren't at their best. Then they hadn't played a lot of football. Or they just, you know, they didn't shine enough then. But they they flourish later on. Well, the foundation was a great route to pick those up. And one of the issues, though, that always worried me about it was that most of the foundation's work is pay for play. Mm. So they do a whole lot of social inclusion work as well. Um, things like the Kicks program. So we were always keen, I was always keen for us to connect up with those parts of the foundation's work where the kids weren't paying for it. Because otherwise you're excluding your catchment to the kids whose parents can afford to pay for things. And yeah. that is, you know, the big worry. My my nightmare as a scout and as a person was this kid who's, you know, stuck in a high-rise block of flats in the centre of London and the family can't afford to pay for things. The kid has talent, doesn't get the opportunity because we don't see them. And that that was, you know, I, that's something I would lose sleep over, <laughs> lose sleep over many things. But the thought of not being able to get opportunities to kids like that is is a uh, is a real worry and and is is a waste. And so I was always looking to try and find ways to get at that type of kid as well by going direct to schools and, and this. And the foundation helped with that because they had a school programme. So we ran school competitions to get at those kids who weren't playing club football. So we used it as a tool. It's big enough that it gave us lots of opportunities to get at lots of different demographics. 
And that, I think that was important. And so now you, you've chosen to recently you left Chelsea. Tell us about that, the reasons why. I mean, obviously moving on. Tell us about this next stage of your career um, and what you're, what you're doing. I, I was asked to, um, I got commissioned to write a book on scouting, which is called The Scouting Game. And I had a deadline of 31st of January to finish the book. And as we got towards the end of the year, working full-time at Chelsea, I was getting a bit nervous about hitting my deadline. Um, also, to be honest, I don't think Chelsea were really keen on me writing the book. Um, you know, like the big clubs can get a bit nervous about people. They, they think there's there's some secrets that I might, you know, spill the beans on. I don't know any secrets, so I don't know what the worry was. But I think it was a bit of reluctance there. But um, the, the publishers asked me to start doing videos on social media to put, promote the brand, as they say, to build up for the book. They started going really well. And I just decided that, uh, or my wife and I, we decided that it was the time to leave Chelsea these videos, the responses to them, it was overwhelming from around the world. Parents saying, how do we know if our kid's any good? Who's going to tell us if our kid's any good? Can you look at this video and tell us what our kid needs to work on? And it occurred to us that, you know, we went to a local FA Youth Cup game. Never say, I, you know, don't show a girl a good time. My, my wife and I went to a <laughs> FA Youth Cup game at Billingshurst, not far from where I live. One summer evening, we had gone out for a meal just beforehand. Um, but uh, there was a good player, and he, he scored four goals on the night. And Julie said to me, "Are you going to bring him into Chelsea on trial?" And I said, uh, "It was a kid. I'll, I'll tell you his name afterwards, who you would recognise. We'd had him in at Chelsea before." And I said, "No, because he doesn't do this, and he doesn't do this." And she said, well, "Has anyone ever sat down with him, do you think, and told him that?" And I said, "Well, maybe not actually." And then when all these parents started responding to the videos saying, how can we get someone to tell us whether the kid's any good? We thought there's a business here, you know, assessing players, mostly on behalf of, of, of parents. So we wanted to give that a go. And I just needed a new challenge. So we thought, if I, I leave Chelsea. I can't work for anybody else for three months or so anyway. We'll launch the business. I'll start talking to other clubs, see if anyone else is interested. And let's see what happens with the business. And that's exactly what we've done. We launched the scouting game as a business, now doing assessments of players, and we do it from all over the world, players from all over the place. And we watch videos, we do it all by video, analyze the player, 11 page scouting report. And the key thing is we try and point them on in positive direction. So if we say, look, you need to work at this part of your game. So we say, as you know, go and see Saul, you know, work at this part of your game. If we've got um, strength and conditioning, you know, the players need more pace, they need more agility. Then we refer them to Ruben Tavares, who I think is the best strength and conditioner, and so on. So we refer them on with practical steps of what they can do to improve. And we tell them where they are on the stand. Because having worked at the, the top of the pyramid, I think internationally I do know the standards of the, for the, the kids of all ages. So I can say, well, they're not at academy standard or they're a cat three standard or they need to do this or whatever it might be. So I have that experience to bring to bear. Meanwhile, I talk to other clubs and I hope to join another club because I enjoy academy recruitment and I want to do some more in it. But it's on the basis that the business will continue as well now. So it's an exciting phase. The business has really taken off and I'm hopefully joining another club soon. Um, and so at a time of life when most of my friends are you know, cutting back on hours of work, I'm finding even more to do. 
yeah i mean when, when, you know start your own business mate that's uh that's really intense i mean you know <laughs> but listen so tell us so, so what players can come you know they go to the scouting game they, they they can send you some 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 game footage one or two videos whatever it is and you review it based in and feed them back about you know what level they are all those things you can work on yeah, exactly. It's got to be two full match videos. It's no good sending us clips because clips just show what a player does with the ball, usually. I want to see what they don't do, what they could have done, and so on. So we need full match videos, uh, two of them, because I never like to judge a player just on one game uh, because they could have a great game or a poor game and uh, gives a bit of context. We analyse them. Uh, we have a, an analyst who, who, who looks at them too. We um, identify strengths and weaknesses. I do... I draw up an 11-page report on the player. We use the, the clips from the video to illustrate strengths and weaknesses. And we go through everything via Zoom with the parents and the player, if necessary, in detail. And particularly, we're looking at, this is what you need to work on, and this is how you can work on it, and these should be your next steps. So we try and make it very practical. And we're doing analysis on players from seven upwards to senior players all around the world, a lot of American business, um, Cyprus, I did a, a really good under-15 player in Cyprus uh, analysis for him last week. Canada, got one to do from Canada for the first time. Kazakhstan, as I mentioned. Um, we've got a, a player uh, from Kazakhstan, we've got to analyse. And a lot of UK-based ones as well. Grassroots, good standards, non-league, you know, some in academies. And this is an amazing thing, Saul. You've worked a lot in academies, as have I. And we're getting contacted by parents of kids who are in academies saying, we want this assessment. And you say, you're not getting this sort of feedback? No, we're not. We still don't know what the kid's good at and what they're not good at. We can't get straight answers. And you think, that, that doesn't sound good, you know, to me. But you know what it's like in academies. Sometimes coaches yeah. are reluctant to say, yeah, doing really well, because they might be coming out to retain release and not know what's going to happen. And yeah. so... This crazy situation that obviously, and this is what parents are, are saying, that even when they're in the academy system, there's no one sitting down and giving them honest answers about what yeah. they're good and what they need to work at. And that's 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 got to be wrong, really, isn't it? Well, I mean, yeah, the amount of parents who come to see me and say, look, we're not getting individual technical work, you know, everything's, you know, in a game or it's, you know, everything's based around the team. You know, I mean, that's been the case, unfortunately. You know, you know, no matter how big the academy seems to be, don't have the seem to have the resources to really nail down on every individual in the group, which seems crazy, I suppose. You know, for the nature of yeah, academy football, absolutely. So it, it means that people will realise they've got their, they're in a great position, a great opportunity, and they've got to make the most of it. So they're going to look for other other support. You know, they're going to look to get those things elsewhere, which is why they'll come to you, no doubt. And, and why it seems some are coming to me. But uh, mostly, I suppose, the market is the parents who's, who've got kids who they see their teammates getting picked uh, yeah. for academies and, and they, they feel their kid is good enough, but no one is explaining why they're not getting picked. So um, that seems to be a market. And it's it, and by doing it by video it makes it cost-effective. By having an analyst go through means we can show people the strengths and weaknesses rather than just talk about them because not everybody is in the game. Not everyone understands it in the way that those of us have been in a long time do. So you have to be able to show them, um, you know, look here, this is your kid who's not doing this or is doing that or whatever. There it is, yeah. you know, in, in video in front of you. That gives us the opportunity to do that. 
So I have done some live assessments. I'm doing one up in Sheffield the weekend after next, but it's not really cost effective for parents for me to go, you know, spend a day traveling and a day back. It's just, it's crazy really. Um, but the video is, is, is the way. And there's so many clubs, local clubs, grassroots club, getting the video cameras and what have you now. There's such a lot of it available. It's opening up mm. this opportunity, uh, this, this new markets to assess players and to scout players through video and grassroots, which we know we've been doing for years in academy scouting. And I, first team scouting, big clubs, 95% of first team scouting is video scouting nowadays. Yeah. At Chelsea yeah. and all the clubs. Brighton signed Moises Caicedo from Ecuador League entirely on video, you know. So that's the, the modern way. But it's reaching down to the grassroots and it will change scouting. It is changing scouting uh, because so much more of it's going to be video based. And so it's just what's to tell everybody, the, you know, how they get in contact. They want someone to send. Uh... Yeah, if, if you just info, yeah, if, if they email info at thescoutinggame.co.uk, so info at scoutinggame.co.uk, then we will send sort of full information and how it works and the prices and all that sort of thing. Um, and obviously we're on Instagram, which is the, our main route of uh, publicity as the scouting game. Um, and that's how we've marketed. All the business has been through the social media stuff. Great. So, and also got, it would be amiss of me not to mention uh, the Virtual Academy, Next Gen Club, my personal football coach, our new Virtual Academy project, which we're really proud to have you involved in. And you're going to be heading up like the uh, recruitment stroke, you know, tips to get scouted. It gives, gives solicitors a little bit of a taste of sort of stuff that you'd be sharing for the uh, members of that on the app, my personal yeah. football coach app. It, it's, a, it's a great um, initiative, so, you know, a Virtual Academy, which I know you, you've done successfully before. Um, but again, there, there, there is a requirement. People just want to know the whole, have everything brought to them, different aspects of the game. So I absolutely get that, and I'm very happy to be to be part of of that. So the sort of things that that I've been contributing is what scouts look for in a player, uh, how to get scouted. So for example, how to get scouted. Well, first of all, you've got to be playing at the best level that you can. If you're the best player in your team, you're in the wrong team. So little clues like that about, you know, challenging yourselves, playing high, uh, always looking to play up, um, working hard. You never know when a scout is watching. And if I come to watch a player, or a player takes my eye, I watch them wherever they go on the pitch and off the pitch. So there's, there's, there's not a resting moment. And uh, everything matters you know, to a scout when they're doing it. Because the investment to bring someone in is massive. So we were looking at all clues of their behaviour, how they treat people. Another little example is I had a, a player come in on trial when I was at Chelsea, he was 16, and he walked in and his dad was carrying his, his, his kit bag. And I said to him, oh, hi, you, you come to trial? So I said, uh, why should your dad bought his kit? So he said, no, that's my kit. So I said, no, it can't be your kit. Surely you'd be carrying your kit. Why would you get your dad to carry it? Well, I'm old-fashioned, but... Everything matters to a scout, you know. So you're looking for those clues, and that's what the scouting is about. And we're going to, you know, talk about um, trials and how to prepare for a trial if it's a big game, uh, how to yeah, get over yeah. nerves, you know. 
August. So yeah, so like yeah, so obviously we'll put the info in the details there. So yeah, like really privileged you you joined us to give your wealth of knowledge there for parents and players all around the world. The check it out on the app, the My Personal Foot Coach app, Club Next Gen, the uh, virtual academy. So it goes live February the first and every month. So uh, just let's talk about them. Just scout, just scouting again more generally. Because what would your what would your advice be for young people who want to get involved in scouting and want to you know try and get ahead in the game and have a great career like you've had in it? I think. Uh... There are more and more opportunities. Scouting is the last part of, of, of football to be professionalised. There are a lot of bad um, amateur still uh, practices in scouting. And it is, there is so therefore there is opportunity for people who are serious about it. You've got to be able to uh, identify talent, obviously. You've got to know the game. And you've got to be able to prove to someone that you know the game. That doesn't mean you have to have been in it a lifetime. I mean, in 30 years, you don't need to be, have been in 30 years by any means, but you're going to need to be able to demonstrate that you can pick out a footballer and, and you understand the game. So how are you going to do that? Well, you need, as a scout, identifying the talent is one thing, and then you need to be able to communicate, you know, the, the old back of a fag packet phone call to the head of recruitment or chief scout, is that's long gone, you know. So if you can write a report on a player, and it could be a, a player on TV, it can be a player in your local park. It doesn't really matter who the player is. If you can write a report on a player and identify their strengths and weaknesses, then then that is the sort of thing that someone's going to want to know. If someone comes to me and they say, I really want to be a scout, I say, well, well show me what you, your product, and your product is a report. And it doesn't need to be. So what? So what? So what how, how long would a report be? And give us a couple of things that I might identify in okay. there. Okay. First thing you've got to describe the player. Sounds obvious. You've seen the player. I haven't. What what are they? Big, small, tall, fat? What? You know, what do they look like? What number? What position did they play? What was the game? What was the conditions like? So describe the context, first of all, and then say what are the, the, the things that the player did well? What were their strengths? So it might be good touch on their right foot. What was their left foot like? Tell me that. Um, good passing. Over what distance? Short, long, one touch. Uh, they might have been um, uh, quite good at winning the ball back. Okay. Uh, and then what were their weaknesses? Well, they weren't very quick. Okay. They weren't very quick in terms of just sheer pace or agility. What might it be? So analyse it. Strengths and weaknesses. And then try and, and summarise that in some sort of what, you know, they you feel they could they could play at a higher standard or or whatever it might be that you think is the is the conclusion. So you've got that description, um, the context, you've got the strengths, you've got weaknesses, and you've got some sort of conclusion. So it's like four paragraphs. That's all it need be. But if you can summarize a player and their performance succinctly in those four paragraphs, that's going to be of interest because it shows you understand the game, and it shows that you can communicate what you see. The other thing you would do, I would ask of a, an aspiring scout is, have you done the FA Talent ID Level 1? Because it's free online. So if someone says, oh, I'm really keen on being a scout, and you say, well, have you done that? Oh, no. And, well, it's free. Go and do it. You know, make a start. No excuse. It's difficult to get Level 2 courses. It's a massive backlog uh, with the FA, uh, which is a whole other subject. And there are other things like the P PFSA, their courses, so you can start doing courses because that starts you on your network as well. If you start doing some courses, start getting out and watching games, start compiling your portfolio of, of reports on players. 
So you've got a product. And then you might have to start as a volunteer, unfortunately, uh, at the local clubs um, to show what you can do. Lots of people do start in scouting that way. You're never going to make a fortune out of scouting. You know, you might find a multi-million pound player, but you won't get a multi-million pound cut out of them. Uh, be an agent if you if you want to make the money. <laughs> but you won't make a lot of money being a scouting um, uh, but it is a fascinating thing to do and it's versatile and there's lots of different scouting. There's grassroots scouting, academy work, which is watching players out of the academy, first team scouting, opposition scouting, which is different again. But if you really want to know all of the, about all of those things, read my book when it comes out. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So just remind us of this, the scouting game. Yeah, when, when's, when's that kind of, when's it due to come out, Chris? Well, it's a good question. Um, hopefully by the end of the year. It's, I got it into Lovely. the publisher on time. So it's now in their hands, uh, and we'll we'll. I'm very much looking forward to to seeing that come out. So everything's called the scouting game. The business is the the social media is and the book is consistent branding. That's it. Cool. And we'll put all that info in the uh, in the description here in the blurb for the podcast. Listen, Chris, thanks very much for joining us, and mate, mate, I know you're very busy. Uh, you've got scouting players all around the world now, and they got all this great uh, content coming. Big thanks again for coming up, mate. And uh, yeah, I'll see you soon. Lovely. Thanks, all. Thanks for tuning in to the MyPersonalFootballCoach.com Soccer Player Development Podcast. MyPersonalFootballCoach.com's Dynamic Ball Mastery Program is the world's leading online individual technical training program, proven and developed at the highest level in the English Premier League. Sign up now to train like the pros and take your game to the next level. Master the ball, master the game.